Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week six of the Big East Bar Room, sponsored by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR at checkout for $20 off your order. Um, you're going to a game. We're going to a game. We just went out to Milwaukee last week and got to a game through SeatGeek. So we're putting our money where our mouth is. Ryan, speaking of putting things where your mouth is, how's that beer taste? It's good. It's a weird way to talk about drinking beer, but it is good. And I'm happy to be here in the bar room with you. Yeah, I mean, this is the, you said it best right before we started, calm before the storm. Um, we're going to be hitting conference play. Biggie's had a good week, lost two games, I believe. Creighton and DePaul lost a game this week. Um, one expected, one not expected. But other than that, Biggie's handled business where I wanted to kind of get on. If the Biggie's had handled business from day one, we would have a completely different assessment of their non-con. Um, if they just lost the games that they were expected to lose. Don't you agree? Yes. So you're saying this is a good week, even though we're playing low. If, if people, are, Yeah, if people are going to sit there and say, well, you beat who you were supposed to be, to be like, yeah, I wish we did that the whole entire non-con. Like, no, that's half the battle. You need to get a couple good wins, and you need to not lose to the people you're not supposed to lose to. And they have some really good wins. You know, UConn and Marquette and Villanova really had a, have a lot of really good wins. Um in there, Xavier played a Houston team entire incredibly close. That looks like one of the best teams in the country. Um, you know, Providence beat Wisconsin, which is a top twenty-five win. You know, Marquette hung with Purdue, and Marquette beat Kansas, and UConn hung with Kansas. I mean, we're talking about like they've beaten the top two teams in the country or played right with that are with them. So, um, yes, unfortunately, and- dropped a lot of uh, games against low majors, but not this week. And didn't DePaul? Didn't Northwestern beat Purdue? Yes, that's why they were Paul hung with Northwestern a little bit. Yes, it, <laughs> so it was. Uh... That's that's how the ball bounces. So what you're saying is DePaul should be ranked right behind Purdue. No. Or at least in front of Northwestern. But they lost to Northwestern. Yeah, so Anyhow, should... let's get into it. We're going to go in order of best non-cons to worst non-cons in comparison to what the expectation was before the season started. I agree with that um, because we agreed on that. So that's the main reason why I agree with that. Um, Rye, you wanted to pick the first team because you feel confident in this team. I'm going with your Butler Bulldogs, Mr. Thad Matta. Let's put three minutes on the clock. And Butler played one game this week. They won one game against Saginaw State. Saginaw State is a D2 school. Not the most impressive win of the Big East offseason, uh, non-conference season. That's all right. A win is a win, and uh, not losing that game was important. Saw some big minutes from some of their backup pieces. Finley Bizjack went for 17 points. Uh, Landon Moore had 10 points. Connor Turnbull had 7 points. You saw some interesting stuff coming off their bench. This was uh, one of those games where the starters are out after about 30 minutes, 25 minutes, really. Um, but big picture – 
I don't know how you walk away from the non-conference and not say Butler is your biggest surprise of the Big East season. Compared to where they were picked, they were considered a pretty middling team, potential bubble team right now. If the season ended and teams made it based on their non-con, Butler would be in the NCAA tournament. Agreed. I mean, when you come into the non-con and you have scheduled Michigan State at at East Lansing, a Florida Atlantic team that was a top five team, I think, coming into the season. Um, and then you have Penn State, Boise State, Texas Tech, Cal all on your resume, and you only lose two of those games. Um, and one of them being the game in East Lansing. I think Michigan State was a top five team coming into the year um, as well. I mean, you're talking about really successful season. I think what one of the biggest successes of their season as well is they carved out roles for all of their players. Um, you know, we were lucky enough to go on the Bark Dog um, podcast last week where we talked about, um, you know, Butler and everything. You know, their four big players of Jamil Telfer, um, Posh Alexander, DJ Davis, and Pierre, Tom, uh, Pierre Brooks. And we talked about, um, you know, how they all have their own roles on the team, but they all are comfortable with being the alpha. Um, and I think that's really important that they've, I feel like they found their identity in the non-con where, um, you know, I think some other teams with a lot of transfers are still struggling with that. Yeah, let's get it right. It's the Bulldog Bark podcast. It was really fun to be on there with those guys. Just check it out uh, if you want to hear some in-depth on the Butler Bulldogs. But I agree with what you're saying about carving out roles for each of the players. And, and you wind up in a position where you have, four different guys that offensively can take over the game at any moment. Pasha Alexander was fantastic um, last week. Jamil Telford, DJ Davis, and Pierre Brooks have all had their moments in the non-conference schedule, um, essentially winning games. What, did, what was the stat? DJ Davis scored like 14 points in the final eight minutes of one game. Um, yeah. Against Texas Tech, that 103-95 to 95 game. Yeah, so they all had big moments, and – We'll see what they're able to do as they continue into Big East play. And, Ryan, looking forward to Big East play quickly. They start with Georgetown at Hinkle, winnable game. So they can keep that momentum going. Then they get um, Providence and St. John's. So I know that Providence is a tough game and St. John's will be a tough game. But to avoid the big three, you know, coming in, we could be looking at a world where they're 2-1, and 3-0, going into, you know, the harder part of their schedule. Yeah, you go 2-1 and one in those first three, and you have to be feeling good about yourself. All right, right. I'm going versus expectations here. Um, I think that this team had high expectations, but I do think that they exceeded them in the non-con. Um, and I think that's the UConn Huskies um, who played probably the most important Big East game this week, maybe the Alabama game for Creighton. Um, and they beat Gonzaga in Seattle um, by a score of 76-63. Um, I thought that this was a very workmanlike performance for UConn. Nobody, you know, Klingon was really good. Um, 21 points in this game, but I thought they did a really nice job. Every time that Gonzaga made a run, they stifled it. Um, and Gonzaga really never, you know, they got, you know, within five, I think once, but it never really felt like that. So workmanlike performance, this caps off UConn's non-con um, where they went 10 and one in the um, non-con. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm quite buying workmanlike. It was close uh, towards the middle of the second half. Now, it was weird that the fans were not at all interested in this game. I mean, you're talking no noise coming over the television. We were watching at the bar with the sound on, and you couldn't hear the fans at all. But, you know, Gonzaga's got some talent out there. They have Ryan Nemhart, our old friend Ryan Nemhart from the Creighton Blue Jays last year. 
Um, Anton Watson was really good. But yeah, Donovan Klingon just controlled this game. He was fantastic. He had like eight points in the first three or four minutes of the game. And he just continued to affect the game. He had some nice passes. He had some nice blocks. This was the Donovan Klingon that everybody was talking about before the season as a first-team All-Big East player, as a top-10 draft pick. When he's on and he is confident and he's scoring, he affects every play that occurs on the basketball court with his length and size. Absolutely. And, I mean, if we're going to talk a little bit more big picture, UConn's non-con, when you schedule four teams that are in the top 12, Texas, Gonzaga, UNC, and Kansas, and to come away with that three and one, I mean, I think that's going to help the Big East come resume time. Um, everything about the Huskies seems like they're poised to go um, you know, to another Final Four or at least be in contention for that. I think that the one of the things they do, and this is a Marquette saying, is they star in their roles. Um, every single player never seems like they're playing out of um, character. It never feels like you're like, oh, Cam Spencer needs to go get a bucket, so he needs to go create off the bounce. It's like, well, that's not really their, you know, what he does. It just seems like everything's within the flow of the offense. Um, and losing by four to Kansas, who's going to be number two again in the country again behind Purdue this week, um, that's never going to be a bad loss when you lose at the Fog. Ty, big picture, how do you compare this non-conference for UConn from last year's non-conference for UConn? I mean, if we're going to talk versus expectations, last year was a complete shock. UConn wasn't ranked going into the season. They were number two in the country by the time that um, non-conference ended. This year, UConn was the hunted going into this, and they still were able to maintain, um, stay afloat, tread water. I don't – I mean, this UConn team – listen, we've seen Purdue get upset by FDU and St. Peter's and blah, blah, blah. But – you know, they have all the makings of being a second weekend team um, and really being there at the end. Ty, you didn't answer the question. We're out of time. Can I get a direct comparison to last year? Ryan, this year, this year's non-con is somehow worse than last year because last year they went 11 and 0 and this year they went 10 and 1. Impressive, but not as impressive. Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes. When you go, ele- that's ridiculous. If they make the final four this year, you're going to be like, well, it wasn't as impressive. I hear the bar room. We're looking for answers that's to questions. All right. We don't avoid question. questions. We don't that's avoid questions in this bar room. I'm a teacher, and they say there's no stupid questions. Let me be clear. That was a stupid question. <laughs> Anyhow, it's my pick, third team. I'm going to Providence Friars in terms of overperforming expectations because, again, this was a team we really didn't know what we were going to get. Kim English is coming in. He brings Josh Aduro. He brings Devonta uh, Ticket Games. You know, these A-10 players, a lot of people, you know, they weren't exactly winning in the A-10. How are they going to compete in the Big East? Well, I'll tell you what, they compete. Uh, they're two of the better defenders in the entire Big East, Josh Adoro and Ticket Gaines, and that's according to the analytics as well as Ryan Cassidy's eye test. So you can argue with the numbers. You can't argue with the eye test. <laughs> <laughs> they went 1-0 this week uh, against Sacred Heart. Unfortunately, let Sacred Heart hang around for way too long. Sacred Heart did have a fantastic shooting night. They hit some shots that were just ridiculous, like turnaround, mid-range jumpers, guy hand in their face. Now, does that excuse letting a low major hang around with you at your home arena? Of course not, but it does explain some of it. Uh, they also were without Devin Carter and Corey Floyd Jr. And Devin Carter's probably been their best player of the non-con. Um, so I'm, I'm completely excusing this game. You win that game by 14 points. Um, because we watched so much of it, I think that it, we're like, oh, shit. But if you just saw the final score and said, hey, they won by 14, but Carter and Floyd didn't play, you'd be like, eh, kind of par for the course. Um, and yeah, I do think 
the turnovers are are a serious issue. How many? I don't know if you have it in front of you. How many turnovers turnovers do they have in this game against a low major opponent? Eighteen turnovers in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they do I, that in the Big East. They're going to lose a lot of games. I agree, and I agree with you. I just think when you are missing two players from your rotation, um, who got all that run for them for a while, um, the Rich one that Barron. yeah, Richard Barron, um, Rafael Castro got a ton of run in this game. You know, it's just you're 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 just a little out of whack when you don't have your normal players. So I I don't I'm not as concerned. I really do like that. You know, Bryce Hopkins after kind of having a disappointing non-con, um, he went for 26 points in this game, 12 rebounds. Kind of the line we're looking for for Bryce Hopkins in a lot of games. I know that's an unfair expectation. Again, against the old major, so I'm not taking away huge conclusions. Uh, overall, you have to feel really good if you're a Providence fan, right? considering how unknown this entire situation was going into the year. Yeah. I mean, you beat, you know, you win against Wisconsin. That game's going to carry you right now. I, I like what English did. He gave them enough opportunities to gain confidence and get wins. Like it wins against Milwaukee, Columbia, Lehigh, Wagner. Um, but he also gave them opportunities to win, you know, tough games. And they went one and two in Q1 games, I think. Yeah, they um, lose an overtime to, to Kansas State because Garway Dual was unfairly removed from the game. Garway Dual, oh my God, <laughs> we're not doing this again. <laughs> you sound like Mike DeRosa. <laughs> uh, and then they they did get they got punched in the mouth at Oklahoma, and I'm not excusing that, but let's be honest, there's not a lot of Big East teams that overperformed the expectation. So I say Providence is still uh, my number three pick here. Yeah, and they're going to have a great chance on Tuesday. They're going to be kicking off the Big East season against Marquette at the Amp. Um, and that the, doesn't get you excited. You don't like Big East basketball. The Tyler Kolick game. Let's go, boys. Ryan, give Mark, uh, give Providence a grade before you uh, we're done with them. They're non-con? Yeah. This solid B. I'd say no, B+. Plus. I don't think it can be lower because of how unknown the situation was. I mean, you had your lifetime coach stolen from you. Stop. <laughs> Listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use any value statements here. It was bullshit, but um uh, Georgetown fans, tune out for this part of the podcast because we'll be getting true. to you in a moment. Anyhow, Kim English earned a lot of goodwill in Friartown off this non-conference performance. I don't disagree. And how much does Providence thank Marquette for losing to Wisconsin and making that Wisconsin win look better? We work together here at the Big East. That's right. That's what we do. How you pick? Uh, I think if we're talking about performing with expectations or slightly above, um, you're right. There aren't a ton of us that did that in the Big East this year. So I'll go with the Marquette Golden Eagles, um, who played one game this week, and they played a close game against um, St. Thomas, closer than the final score, kind of in the same ilk as the Providence game. Um, although St. Thomas just kind of shot the lights out at certain points in that game. It didn't seem real. Um I don't know. Do you want to talk about the St. Thomas game? Do you want to talk about Marquette's non-con? What do you want to talk about? I was a little surprised at how much trouble Marquette had scoring the ball for significant portions against St. Thomas. That's not something we've really seen. And and obviously they shot the lights out. But, yeah, there was a portion of the game of about six minutes where they scored six points against a low-major team. Like, and that was when uh, St. Thomas was able to get back into the game in the middle of the second half. And then Marquette was able to pull it out at the end. Tyler Colacoso Godaro just stepped the heck up and took over that ball game. But, yeah, not a not what you want 
Agreed. Um, I'd be a little bit more worried if this was a kind of a trend over the um, the non-con. Marquette, during the non-con, blew out Notre Dame, who stinks, to be fair, but blew out Texas um, in the revenge game. They beat Kansas in a neutral site by blowing them out. They beat UCLA. They beat Illinois in a true road game, one of the few um, true road game wins we have at the Big East during the non-con. Um, you know, this Marquette team is battle-tested. They've been here before. They're um, a veteran team with a veteran coach. I'm going to talk about them in the same ilk that I talk about UConn. I don't know how, you know, they're poised for a second weekend run. For Marquette, it will be proven they can do it in the tournament. But, um, you know, nothing about the non-con dissuaded me from that. It was a two-point game with a minute and three seconds left. Tyler Kolick went six of six from the free throw line to ice this game down the stretch. He's a killer. He's a real deal. And uh, it could have been disaster. It really could have been a disaster for the Big East. Yeah, I mean, you lose. The best team loses. That would have been a problem. Um, And I think Shaka addressed it. I'm coming off of the Notre Dame game and the Texas game where every fan was going to make sure that they were in attendance for those. Um, Maybe just everyone wasn't on their focus. Kind of like the Providence game. Just everyone wasn't quite focused where it needed to be. Providence won by 14, though, compared to what St. Thomas won by. Yeah, you try to chalk it up to that. Ty, we're running out of time, but uh, overall, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this Marquette team is as good as advertised when they're rolling. Um, you worry about them rebounding in some situations, um, and you worried about it, the threes not falling. But other than that, you know, they're a team that if they lose, a lot of times it's going to be because they beat themselves, not because the other team beat them. Yeah, for me, I continue in – addition to the things you mentioned, I continue to worry about why they don't come out with the defensive intensity in the first half. And then they're playing catch up against Purdue, against UCLA, uh, Wisconsin and against Wisconsin. Thank you. That's something that, you know, biggest teams will punish if they don't bring out that intensity for a full 40 minutes, drank Villanova fans. (laughs) All right. Right. I picked Marquette. Now we're probably in teams that either performed at expectations or slightly below expectations, um, but we're not really talking about those teams that performed way above expectations, I think, at this point. I'm going to take a pick. I might regret it. Oh, we're keeping Creighton for the end because they were our team of the week, so if you're thinking, why don't they take Creighton, that's why. Uh, I'm going to take St. John's here. They've got no bad losses. I think that they've slightly underperformed expectations, but I don't think they've underperformed them to a huge margin where you have some teams that have already eliminated themselves from the NCAA tournament, barring an automatic qualifier. Don't talk about DePaul this early on the podcast. Xavier, DePaul, Georgetown. Um, And the wins over Utah and West Virginia look really good for St. John's. So that's who I'm going with. Time's already started. West Virginia is a bad P6 school. Um. But, right, I just, in one sentence, did the Rick Pitino pizza story happen? Yes or no, actually? Yes or no? Who am I? Yes or no? Who am I? Okay. They go 1-0 this week. They beat Fordham um, in a game that was not super close. Ends up being a 22-point game. Was never super entertaining if you were tuned in. I kind of wonder why I was tuned in so I could talk about it on this podcast. Joel Soriano goes for like 20 and 10. He's a freaking monster, but not a ton of takeaways. RJ Lewis is still not playing. Oh, Sean Conway started instead of Jordan Dingle. Did you see that? I did see that. I was a little bit um, wondering about that. 
I don't want to talk about St. John's rotations because that really makes you mad. But I, when I'm talking about roles on teams, that's where I'm saying that I think Butler did a really good job. You know they're starting five where I think St. John's is still tinkering a little bit. I don't think that's through a lot of fault of St. John's. Um, I think they're just trying to see who has the potential there. Because um, going into the season, I would have said Jordan Dingle is probably going to be their second best player behind Joe Soriano. You know, oddly, so for- I, I think he's probably been their third best player. So I was surprised he was the guy that lost his starting job. I get Patino wanted to mix it up after the Boston College loss. He needed a pizza to calm himself down. And uh, and then Somehow he makes he... his change. I was surprised it was Dingle that got pulled, though. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair um, point. Right, if we're talking about St. John's um, non-con, I think one of the things that's interesting is we didn't, with a team full of transfers, it's hard to know an expectation. Um, obviously, when you bring Rick Patino in, the expectation is that you are going to be a tournament team. Um, but I think people who knew Big East basketball knew it was going to be a challenge. I'm um, going into it, and they haven't played themselves off of the, you know, out of the tournament. And I think that was a good point you made. Utah's still their best win. Utah's 35th in Ken Palm right now. Um, I think part of it is some of that. Ta- I think some of it's like a taste in your mouth, right? Um, because when they came out and they won a few, you know, they won their first game, and then they're playing Michigan at the Garden, and they get beat in the way they do. That was kind of resounding. And then they win against North Texas, but it's one of the ugliest games of all time. And then they lose to Dayton. It's like, okay, well, this is way different than this is way different than we thought it would be. But it was like, oh, hold on, we're still seven and three at the end of non-con. And it's just how bad the defense has been at times. I mean, their performance against Michigan was one of the worst defensive performances you will ever see from a high major school. I mean, you just had guys running right past their defender to get a layup. Uh, and you had moments of that in Dayton. And that's where Patino said, you know, I, I we're just not following scan reports. You had moments of that in Boston College. That's why Patino needed his pizza. Uh, so I agree with you. The eye test is a little harsher on them than the current record or, you know, Ken Palm situation. Yeah. And St. John's has a um, hell of an opening. They're going to play Xavier, which is always going to be a, I think Xavier's going to be a weird game, but then they play at UConn. Then they get Hofstra in the middle of this. I hate when we do this, like we start the big East and then we don't. Um, And, and then they're playing Butler, Villanova, Providence, Creighton. I mean, this is a, this is a gauntlet to start. St. John's needs to pick up some wins. It would be good for the Big East if they are able to, but it'd be bad for the Big East because we're playing the Big East now, so I don't know. Ty, if they don't play defense, how many wins are they going to get? Zero. Um, I'm trying to be a little bit nicer to St. John's. Um, it has come to my attention recently. Let me let me give a public service announcement. Please don't. We're out of time. It has come to my attention that I've been too harsh on St. John's, and the children of St. John's deserve – I have eight more seconds – deserve um, – credit they've been doing well despite their leadership but um i love st john's and i want them to do well and rant all right tyler it's your pick we've gone through five teams uh right you're not gonna like this and i don't think people are gonna like this either but if we're talking about verse expectations i think we have to talk about depaul um because no. depaul Ryan, they Georgetown lost to Holy Cross. I'm not doing this again with you. I got DePaul as the worst against expectations. Worst expectations? That's yes. ridiculous. No. They, they lost to Northern Illinois. Yes. They Who, beat Louisville. They won their – they have, like, one of the better – like, the more important wins. Eight. Yes, they have one of the more important wins. They beat Louisville. They hung with – um. Iowa State for at least 10 minutes of a game. You're whacked they out. Let's put three minutes barely on Barely lost clock. to South Carolina. Your DePaul Blue Demons go 0-1 this week. They lose to Northwestern. 
in what was one of their better games they played all season defensively I now you're getting like, it now you're getting this is what we're talking about i watched a lot of this game so just like give me 20 seconds i liked a lot of what they did defensively they played zone a lot which was thrown northwestern because i don't think they prepared for it they also have the ability to switch one through five when they have Deshaun nelson playing the five which is a lot of fun and then they'll go into coverage on the five also so you're throwing three different defensive looks out at the offense northwestern is not the most offensively gifted team and it really gave them fits for a significant portion of the night. Now, why did they not win? What did they, they shoot? Played, uh, they shot 26%. From the field? Yes. Not from three? No, no, no. from the field. Yeah, that's embarrassing. That is by far the worst shooting percentage. I don't know if that's true. I didn't look it up. But I feel like it's a pretty safe bet that's the worst. 29%. I'm sorry. You had tweeted the 26%, but 29%. Yeah. They, uh, I, 18% from three. Pitiful offensive display, uh, but, you know, progress, I suppose. Which, I mean, let's, let's be honest. If DePaul comes out and has a bad offensive game, I've seen enough of DePaul this year, which it has aged me, but I've seen enough of DePaul this year to be like, I know that they have offensive talent. So I'll chalk that up to a bad game. Like when Creighton, I don't, okay, I don't want to compare them to Creighton, but when <laughs> Creighton had a bad game against Colorado State, I was like, okay, I get that. Now, when DePaul had the bad defensive game, I go, oh, that just makes sense because that's who they are. Um, hanging with a team that beat the number one team in the country, that's number 25 in the country, um, after winning the game that they really did care about beating Louisville. Listen, I'm not of any, I'm not of the imagination that DePaul is going to somehow go on a miracle run here and win five conference games. But could I see them locking down and winning two, three? Maybe. Maybe I could see it. But you do believe they're as good as the Creighton Blue Jays. I got that right. I believe that their offensive performance against Northwestern was as good as Creighton's performance, <laughs> offensive performance against Colorado State. I, I don't like, necessarily disagree with you. I don't think I go winless. First off, it's really hard to go winless. Um, no, 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 no. Patrick Ewing did it. It took a very special coach to get Georgetown to go winless. And, you know, they're going to sneak a couple at Wintrust, I bet. I bet you they get two wins, one against – the bottom of the barrel and one against the middle would be my guess. So you think they have one night where they just beat Xavier like they did last year? Yeah. And then maybe they could beat a Hall. They could beat a Georgetown. If they go out there and play defense the way they did against Northwestern and they have a decent shooting night, they could be, you know. Listen, eventually it's going to get ten. kids where they're going to be told, hey, you're playing for stubs. Um, and even if they, even if there's no chance stubs is coming back, if they believe they can – you never know on any given night in this conference, but I kind of thought DePaul was going to be through 10 games, maybe four and six They're two and eight. That's one of the least disappointing performances in the big East right now. So I'll yeah, go I, I think that's a bad take. Just everybody listening, but that does make it my turn. And so I'm going to go for the team with the most complicated resume in the big East. That would be your Villanova Wildcats. Let's put three minutes on the clock. They went 0-0 this week. They did not play a game. I think they have like a nine-day um, stretch where they're not playing basketball, which is kind of weird. You don't see that a lot, but makes it really easy to recap their week. And we can done. go straight into big picture stuff. Done. We're done recapping their week already. Yeah, that's how good we are. Congratulations. You think it's our first episode? Uh, um. Right. What do you want to talk about with the resume? You want to talk about the good? You want to talk about the bad? You want to talk about everything in between? Do you there's think, no actually in between. Do you think overall they 
outplayed the expectations. No, because I would rather them have lost to Maryland, UNC, and Memphis than lose to St. Joe's, Drexel, and um, Penn. I mean, I just think that if you lose those three games, you're like, all right, par for the course in some ways. I don't know. Maybe I'm – and now I'm talking myself in a loop because maybe it is complicated because with those three wins, they're probably closer to the bubble and the three bad losses are – you almost talk about the three big wins before you talk about the three big losses. I don't freaking know. I have no idea what to do with Villanova. I don't know. I think they're going to make it very clear in Big East play whether they are a 9-11 and 11 team or if they're a 13-17. and 17. Yeah, and to make it even harder now, it's been like 10 days since we've seen them play basketball. And so you're kind of trying to remember, like, what's the list? I mean, they've got so much talent on this team, right? They got, like, talent one through eight. Can they play defense consistently and figure out how to play offense against the zone? I mean, those are the two questions, right? That's what lost them three games in Philadelphia, which is the reason they were not top two, top three in this picking order and instead below the expectations. And – the St. Joseph one keeps looking better. St. Joseph's doing really well. I'm going to A10 play. Um, St. Joseph's is doing well. Yeah, they lost to St. Joseph's. Yes. Oh, okay. The St. Joseph's loss is looking a lot better. They're St. Joseph's playing really well in A10. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Memphis is really good, in my opinion. I'm, UNC is really good, in my opinion. I'm shocked that they were able to win the game so easily. And now we're like talking about them and. Not easily because they went to the overtime against UNC, but now we're talking about this team as a bubble team. Would though if I told you they were going to win those three games at the beginning of the season, you would have said they're a top ten team in the country. I agree. I think the expectations were higher because of the amount of transfer talent that they brought in. But they've got a second year coach who's unproven, who's only ever coached at this level for three years, and. In a way, those three wins were three of the biggest wins he's had in his head coaching career, right? I'm going to take it a step further. If they don't make the tournament this year, I think they're playing for – I think Big East play, they're playing for Kyle Neptune's job. That's my hot take. Nobody gets fired after two years. Everybody gets three years. If he, He lost three games in Philadelphia this year. Do you know the last Big East coach to get fired after two years? Um, The fact that you know that off the top of your head is a little worrisome. Um, uh, no, Fran Frischilla from St. John's in like hey. 2001. Fran is, um, Fran does some TV, I think. He's a big Twitter guy, also. I think he's retweeted you. He's retweeted me, yeah. Uh, a, little tw- a little Twitter guy, <laughs> a little Twitter guy versus a big Twitter guy in a war. All right, um, I don't think Neptune's going anywhere after a second year. Everybody gets three years, but I yeah. could be wrong. And Villanova loves their basketball, and maybe they won't accept. The Villanova doesn't make the tournament. Jay Wright says, I'm going back in to save the union. I'm going back in. Who votes no to that? Kyle Neptune and his family. <laughs> to be clear, vote, vote very clearly no. Rye, if I get the next pick of teams that underperformed, I think we're actually a little low on them. I think they probably were more par for their course. Um, the Georgetown Hoyas. Um who did lose the Holy Cross, which I'm just having a really hard time getting my head around. Um, it, you know, how much differently do we look at them if that TCU game goes the way it's supposed to by the referees? Really quick, 
they went 2-0 and this week. They beat Coppin State. 1-11 Coppin State, to be clear. One of the ugliest games you ever watched in your life. Even I didn't make you through that. I watched about 10 minutes and, and called it a day. And then they beat Notre Dame without Mr. Jaden Epps, um, which is both a good sign and a concerning sign. It's good that you're able to win without your best player against a P6 school. It's concerning that your best player has been out for a week. Um, I thought Brumbaugh grew up a little bit in that game, too. He's the one who hit the big shot against Notre Dame to send it to overtime. Um, hey, listen, they're they're getting healthy. They're trying to figure some things out. They they lost. They've lost some huge like some games that you just can't lose when you lose to Holy Cross. Um, you know, they got blown out by Rutgers, who doesn't look like they're a great team. Sorry, Seton Hall, when you're about to get talked about it in a minute. Um, so and and their wins. I just think we'd talk about them so much differently if they had beaten TCU and beaten Notre Dame in the non-con, you know, losses to Syracuse. Um, and, you know, just doesn't help a lot. Yeah, their win against Notre Dame is by far their best win in the season. They played some of no, the they lowest. beat TCU. No, that's it. Yeah, they did. Objectively. They played some of the lowest low majors available in the NCAA. Um Obviously, they have a, a annual with American University, but they played like Mount St. Mary's and I mean teams. I don't even remember the names of Coppin State. One State. of Mary Mack, who just came to D one recently. So you have one bad loss and no good wins, and then you did manage to beat Notre Dame, who is one of the worst P six schools in the Big East right now. I mean, they beat TCU they, um, because the rule is you can't shoot the ball from out of bounds. Um, so that's huge for them that they were the win that right. Do you see enough from Cooley to be like, okay, he's the guy for this Georgetown program, or are you still basing it off of what he did at Providence? Like if this was a brand new coach coming in and you had no preconceived notions, would you still say he's there? Yes. And for nothing, for no reason that has occurred this season, it's because of the three so recruits no. he's brought in. So no, you haven't seen anything from him this year. He's brought in three recruits. He has this, one of the top recruiting classes in the country. He's got the best recruiting cast in the Big East. This kid, Kayvon Mulready, is playing right up the road from us. I'm hoping to get out to see him at some point this year. Thomas Sorbor, Sorber has been excellent in high school during his senior year. They got three real dudes coming in, and this year's a wash. It doesn't really matter. Player development-wise, does. I mean, you're going to bring some of these kids back. I mean, you're hoping that Jaden Epps will come back. You're hoping Brumball will come back. Um, you know, maybe they'll be able to get enough culture in there and enough players to bring back that we're talking about this team, you know, as a bubble team going into next year. Yeah, that's a fair point. But I do think we've seen flashes. Drew Fielder was excellent against yeah. Notre Dame. He did grow up a little bit in that game. Him and Brumbo, I thought, grew up a lot. Supreme Cook has improved over the course of the non-conference. Good where, defensively. Yeah, where they lost the Holy Cross in large part to, due to his inability to play the five, he's looked a lot better. He gets a big block in overtime against. How much Oakland. does this team miss a cook? I mean, I guess a cook. You know everything that happened with the cook anyway, where he got her um medically had a hard time anyway. But how much does this team would they benefit from a cook? A cook who could play the five at a high level and just just would bring that different energy, I think, to a team. And that might also be because I just am in love with a cook. A cook and everything he brings to a franchise. Yeah, and also the experience uh, would be great to see. But that leaves us with two teams. I'm going to go with your Xavier Musketeers as the second-to-last team. We'll put in, in part because Seton Hall is finishing up their game. 
Xavier went one and zero this week. They beat Winthrop. Only notable thing I know from this game is there was a score bug and the scoreboard disappeared for most of the game. But if we're talking in terms of the entire non-conference, they have two really bad losses. They lost to Houston. They lost to Purdue. They but lost to they Oakland Cincinnati. and they lost to Delaware. Those are the two really bad losses. Yep. But they Washington beat Cincinnati. Loss. Um, right. Let me paint a picture. Um, I'll be Picasso with my words here for a minute. I'm sitting at a bar, which we've done before, and I'm sitting there with a few friends who are like, oh, is there any Big East games on? I was like, Xavier. And he goes, oh, I haven't seen the score bug come up in a while. We are a power six conference. We are one of the best basketball conferences in the world. For our score bug to malfunction for half the game is absolutely unexcusable, inexcusable, and we need to do a lot better as a conference. I'm going to just say that out loud. I don't care about that the you know that it happens sometimes, but we are supposed to be the flagship conference for basketball and that was a joke that they said oh what's the score what's the score and i had to keep looking on my phone to see what the freaking score was against winthrop you heard it here first listeners we don't like score bugs i know that's surprising uh yeah i i I mean i don't feel as strongly as you but obviously it's not a good look ryan Um, podcasting 101 have strong feelings do you have any major takeaways quincy Oliveri continues to just be one of the best players in the conference yeah, I mean, I was watching this game passively. Um, it was on in the background while I, you know, was going on. I kind of liked that the um, what's it called? The big men for them looked like they were trying to figure out a role. Um, um, I always get it wrong. Usman, um, Djokovic, um, were you know carving out that role. Nemeshka, they combined for twenty-two points between them. Um, I do think it'd be interesting. We're going to hear from Jerome Hunter for the first time tomorrow, right? I don't know if you saw that. Um, He's going to be on the Sean Miller podcast. So let's see if we get an update. Obviously, first and foremost, hope he's just okay. Um, When you go through something like that, just hope you're okay, bud. But a lot of the season hinges on him. And this is what I was trying to preach at the beginning of the year. Because Xavier struggled so much in non-con with their bad losses, they're going to be sneaky good in the conference play, in my opinion, or they're going to at least be a tough out. And if you lose to them, that's going to be like a Q3 loss, especially if you lose at home. This is why root for the Big East when they're in non-con, because it's going to kill someone's resume if they lose to Xavier. And God forbid they lose to Xavier twice, and they're trying to be a tournament team. Yeah, you're. I mean, that's absolutely right. Jerome Hunter's not coming back this season. Did you see the NCAA gave Giddis Nemeshka another year of eligibility? He will be back next year. He's one of these international guys. I don't know how they decide how many years of eligibility they have, but apparently he has one more than he thought. So he will be, he has the option. Giddis Nemeshka came to Xavier thinking he had four years. Shocked that he now has two. (laughs) That's how I, that's how I have it going down in my head. Um, Ryd, did you also see the big news from Xavier this week? Quincy Oliveri's giving out signed pictures. Quincy Oliveri is the great guy. Did you see Michelle from Twitter um, had to transfer from Xavier? What are we doing here, guys? <laughs> if, if Michelle can't afford Xavier, I can't afford to be here. She what is Xavier. All right, right. go ahead. Well, it's your pick, but there's only one team, so we're going to talk. Your seat in Hall Pirates. I just figured you were used to being picked last in sports, so you would be good at picking last. All right. There's five minutes and 40 seconds left in the game. They're currently up by 19. We're going to do this segment as if they win this game. 
And if they lose, just just listen to the segment of your Seton Hall fan and be like, thank God. Yeah. Right? The, right. Hall had a weird non-con. They had a terrible non-con. Did they? But did they, they won every game they were supposed to and kind of lost every game they were supposed to. No, they were supposed to win one of these games. Uh, Who did they play after USC over in San Diego? Um, did they play San Diego in San Diego, right? No, I don't think so. They they Teams they've lost to during the non-con. They lost to Rutgers, which is a game you'd like to win. They lost to Baylor. They lost to Iowa. They lost to USC. I mean, when you're talking about teams you lose to, they lost to like almost all Q1 games. Um, they're going to win this game today, which is a decent win. Where are they? Um, I don't know where. Are they in Missouri? Also, did you know? Did you know Nick Honor is still playing on Missouri? Clemson, great Nick. Nick Honor. Nick Honor is my age, and he's still playing in this game. Nobody's um, your age. Um, there are people who are thirty in the world. Right? Um, I don't know. I don't think this is. I mean, this is their best win by far. Like, not I don't even think it's a colossal failure, though. Of an off of a non-con, but I'm also a Seton Hall defender. We were talking about them as a potential bubble team, and I they, was. You were saying no. Well, okay, so I was right. What do you want? You they want? beat St. Peter's. They beat FDU. Those are Ryan. Do you even watch tournament basketball? Because St. Peter's and FDU are tournament teams. Okay, they're called giant killers. Um, yeah, this game has been interesting. Dylan and I Wusu has been really good for them. Uh, oh, they also beat Monmouth this week, which we didn't address. So they went 2-0. We've been mm-hmm. all over the place for this segment. They won by nine. Um, Did you watch? How much of this game have you watched? Well, I've been podcasting with you for most of it. Yeah, that's true. The first – did you watch a lot of the first half? No, I was driving. Man, they – the way that they were playing offense in the first half, and I'm not going to hate it because it worked, was a lot of passing around the perimeter and hoping Amir Dawes and um, Dylan Adayawusu could hit threes. And then they did – they went four of their first eight, and then the lane started widening way up. Kadari Richmond was getting, you know, hitting lefty layups. Adai Wusu was able to drive. I just am skeptical if that is a offensive strategy that can work because I don't know if they're all as efficient three-point shooters as possible. However, Betty Aku, I think, has been a pleasant surprise for Seton Hall. He's kind of established himself as that five. Um, he's as physical as any five-man in the Big East. Now, he's not as skilled. But in terms of pure physicality, I mean, what did they say today? He has more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds. Like, I wouldn't want to try to rebound against him. He's 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 interested in that business. That's all he's interested in. Um, right? Is there anything Seton Hall, in your opinion, can do to play themselves back on the bubble during Big East play? Obviously, other than going twenty and out. Yeah, a couple big wins against the top of the conference would put them right back on there. You're right. They don't have any bad losses. They got kind of lucky against Monmouth, which was a close game in, in Monmouth. Why are you saying Monmouth like that? It's Monmouth. Uh, is it? Yeah, it's Monmouth. It's like a very popular city in New Jersey. Uh, there's no popular cities in New Jersey. Oh, my God. You know, this is why I'm New Jersey's favorite um, Biggie's Barroom fan. Uh, but they have no really bad losses, so they absolutely could play themselves on the bubble, but they're for sure right now on the outside looking in. I, I mean, yeah, I don't think that's questionable. Um, Kadari Richmond's taking the next step. I think that's a big thing to talk about for Big East play. Isaiah Coleman is probably your freshman of the year at this point. He's about to play himself into the starting lineup. I'm surprised he didn't get to start today. Uh, Seton Hall does open up with three of their four, first four games against UConn, Providence, and Marquette. And it is a 10-point game, so maybe they will lose. So uh, No, they will not lose. How did they just go from a 19-point game to a 10-point game in, like, th- in the three-minute segment? Call the Seton Hall special. Anyway, that wraps up our 10 teams.
Stick around to hear our team of the week. All right, Big East fans, that just leaves one team left. That is our team of the week, and we are lucky enough to be joined by Creighton Basketball's assistant coach, Ryan Miller. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being on with us. We appreciate it. And it was an interesting week for Creighton to go one-on-one. Um, we start off with the loss to UNLV. And so one question we're seeing a lot from Creighton fans is, uh, how does Creighton end up playing this game about five minutes from the UNLV campus? Are you able to give us any information about how that came about? And, and how do you think that affected the game? Yeah, I mean, I don't really had. I think it had much of an impact of the game, first and foremost. I mean, uh, wherever you go play a game, you got to show up and you got to perform. And and we were we were uh, kind of slow afoot that night and we weren't uh, reacting the way we needed to and we were making the plays we needed to, to win. And you give credit to UNLV for putting us in some situations on the basketball court. Um, for us, it's a no-brainer game. It's a home-and-home -home game. that We play a neutral off-campus site game there and they return to home next year. So um, no-brainer game for us. It's a game we should win. We have to win some neutral site games and uh, – we have to play some neutral site games, and it was a game that, uh, you know, we thought going into it, we had a favorable matchup going into. And uh, credit to UNLV for uh, putting us in some unique situations. They held the ball a little bit and uh, shortened the game, and and we were able to uh, get them playing and get them playing our type of basketball. And to be clear, is the expectation going forward that they will now visit Omaha? Yes, next year they come to our place to play a home game. Okay. So it's a, it's a beautiful deal for us. You get to play a, a off-campus um, students are off uh, out on holiday break and they come back to play us next year on our uh, at the CHA Health Center. So it's a, it's a great game for us. It's good. We just got to win the games. You know, you got to win the games in front of you. And, and, and unfortunately, we didn't come up to the winners that game and UNLV had a great game plan for us and they executed and we did not. Yeah, one of the ways they, uh, the game plan for you, you shot 27% from three in that game. Um, you know, a lot of them looked like good looks from yep. Our point of view, is there something you can point to that, you know, the shots weren't falling for tonight? Well, we thought for the most part we got good looks. I mean, we uh, analyzed all of our shots after every game. Um, and for the most part, uh, you know, there's a few uh, bad shots you, you know, be forced into, but we thought we got the looks we needed to. Uh, we didn't have a great game plan heading into the post with uh, the Boone kid. The Boone kid kind of destroyed us. And then he made us overreact a little bit later in the game where we had to run some doubles at him, and they were able to spray it out and get us in rotation. And then make some shots. They made, you know, 50% of their threes. And I think we made like 28%. So, you know, game comes down to shot making sometimes. And and we didn't uh, make the shots in front of us. And uh, we had a poor shooting night. And uh, But, give again, give credit to UNLV. You know, put us in unique situations where, you know, we had a, we got rushed and some shots late because we were trying to come back the whole night. In retrospect, do you think that you would have brought the double earlier on Boone in that game? Oh, not so much. I, you know, um, you think uh, our Big East Conference Player of the Year defender can go one-on-one -on -one with him, but Boone had a great night. He threw a couple of shots in that, you know, were probably not analytically sound, hook shots and stuff like that, and um, some over the shoulders. He did get a little bit too deep on him um, a few times. But, you know, we, we try to stick to the game plan as much as we can. And with them holding the ball later in the game where possessions uh, – we're being, we're being minimized. Um, we thought we had to get more aggressive, and, and they made us pay for that aggressiveness. That's great stuff. Then they move over to the Alabama game. Um, what were the thoughts about Alabama coming into the game? You guys haven't faced them in, like, a decade. 
obviously the last game ended a little interestingly. What were your thoughts on Nate Oates' team going into this game? Oh, they're they're a great basketball team. They they play an unbelievable schedule. Um, they left here to go play Arizona. They played Purdue already. Played Ohio State. Uh, have a great schedule. Uh, their team's very very athletic. Uh, puts you in a lot of tricky situations where uh, they're ghosting and, and and manipulating matchups and have uh, two uh, big rim runners at the rim that they can just flip it up to and they go get it from about anywhere. Um, as a, as athletic team as we've played all year. Um, you know, and they got great guard play too. I mean, um, the Sears kid manipulates pick and rolls as good as anybody. And it was a tough matchup. And they're a good basketball team. And they're going to win a lot of SEC basketball games this year. Absolutely. Uh, Ryan Clarkburner goes down in the first half of this game. Um, I think for viewers, it was a moment to really realize how important Ryan Clarkburner is as a basketball player. He can be overlooked so often. Can you just take a minute to talk about how important he is to the screen. Yeah, obviously, you know, he's a, the two-time Big East defensive player of the year for a reason. He's a heck of a presence inside. Um, he really shores up and covers for a lot of uh, mistakes we make uh, defensively or, or some, you know, some guys that maybe aren't as good as foot speed where we can funnel uh, Cal to the – or funnel their defenders to Cal Brenner at the rim, um, make those shots difficult at the rim. And then also – you know, just uh, that, that matchup against Alabama was suited for him. I mean, they would – if you didn't have a big, long presence at the at the rim, they were just throwing flip-up their lobs over top of centers. And uh, and we had to go small for a period of time there where they were just able to come down, get downhill, and just throw it to anywhere in the rim. And their bigs like Pringle and stuff would go get go get the ball and have highlight dunks. So uh, he took a lot of that stuff away uh, when he came back in the second half and made the more made, made the more uh, the game more uh, to our liking. Yeah, you had moments with Isaac Trout at the five. Is yeah. that something you're practicing? Or yeah, that's, I mean, well, we definitely want to take utilize his size and his three-point shooting ability to be able to stretch out some teams with the right matchup. I mean, that was a difficult one for him just because there's their sure athleticism was so great at, at that center position. Um, and their speed coming downhill was a little tricky for him. But there's some matchups, yeah, where we'd like to utilize him, him as a space a five man and and going forward and you know, you won't see it often, but you'll see it a little bit as we go forward. Coach, you take us a moment in the huddle after Ryan Cockburner goes into the tunnel. What are you saying to the guys? What's kind of the message to keep fighting? Yeah. I mean, Crane basketball is a, is, is a program uh, next man up anyway. as next man up mentality. Um, whether it's Fred King or we have to go small with Isaac Trout or you know, we have to go out small with Jason Green, it's the next guy. Be ready. It's, you have to go perform now. Um, there's no – uh, time to feel sorry for ourselves. If there's an injury, just next guy is there, and the next guy's got to, he's, his job is to perform like a great basketball player at a championship uh, level, and that's what they did. They held their own, and we went into halftime, a tie ball game, and then we were able to to pull all the way towards the end. So he comes back for the beginning of the second half. You guys run about three sets in a row for him. Um, what was the thought process there to get him the ball, and was he healthy when he came back? I, I'm not sure if you could tell me that. Say the last part. I'm sorry. Was he healthy when he came back? Was oh, he you know, he had a he had a tweaked ankle. I mean, uh, the the trainers took a look at him at halftime, and and you know he felt like he was able to run and jump and be able to make the uh, basketball plays out there. So, um, you know, although it was probably a little sore for him, I'm sure it was. Um, he was able to perform at a high level. And you know, anytime we come in at halves or start of games, we want to establish Kuckbrenner uh, in a post presence or our rim uh, lobs or, or just try to get the defense to react to that, to try to squeeze them down the floor, get them into the paint. Then we can start spraying out for three. So that's kind of our offensive mentality and as, as a whole. 
uh, hit them early and often inside. And then as we make them go pack line or get, get, get inside to take care of Kalkbrenner, we start spraying it out for three. So uh, we always try to carry our identity, I guess, uh, going into halves with that uh, mentality. They're changing gears here a little bit. Francisco Farabello, he played 28 minutes in the UNLV game, he plays 29 minutes in this game. He's playing more than some of the starters. Um, can you talk about the new role he's taken on on this team and kind of what role you envision him taking yeah. going forward? Well, Farabello, I've been lucky enough to coach for a long time, whether it was uh, TCU or, or Creighton. Um, that being said, he's a heck of a player. I mean, he doesn't care. He, he didn't take one field goal or win against Alabama, but he impacted winning. And that's that's his mentality. He doesn't need to have the ball to, to our score to impact winning. He will do what he has to do to help a team win. And that's that's the essence of Francisco Farabello. And that's why uh, his minutes keep climbing up. And, uh, you know, he he's just a winner. That's all I can say about him. If you were to narrow him down to a specific position on the court, is he a point guard? Is he a two guard? Where do you guys see him? He, he's kind of a he's a versatile player. He can play all over. He can handle the ball. He can, you know, he can sit on the space the floor with his shooting ability. Um, you know, he's just a basketball player, probably one through three. He'll he'll guard a big guard or he'll guard a small guard like he did with Sears the other night. Um, he can play those one through three in a pinch one more two three probably. Okay. As a question we got from a Creighton fan, he wanted to talk about Mason Miller. He's shooting 59% from three this year. He's one of the top offensive efficiency guys in the country. Um, how did he take this step? And where do you see this progression he's going on leading him? Well, he's just been, since he's been here, he's been working and getting better. Um, so just consistent day-to-day -day habits, getting in the gym, getting shots up on his own, getting shots up with coaches after practice, uh, Developing a daily routine over the last uh, two to three years um, has has helped him be ready for this role, be a starter on a top 10, top 15 team. And he's really excelled in his role. And, uh, you know, if, if he has a shot, he, he he takes it with confidence and he has a lot of confidence right now. And he, we, need, we need him to carry that on going into conference play. I'm sure you knew he was a good shooter, but did you realize he was this good of a shooter before the start of the year? I mean, I knew he was a good shooter uh, just because of the amount of reps we take together. Um, you know, it's one thing taking those reps and then to transfer them into the game, which he's been able to do. He's been able to transfer into the game and uh, make an impact shooting the ball uh, at a high level, obviously. Shooting 58% from three is phenomenal. Um, he takes the right ones. He takes good ones, and the teammates look for him. So um, hopefully he can carry that on with that confidence and that swagger into uh, conference play. You had a great sequence in the first half where he hits a three, comes down, and takes a charge on the other end. I mean, the ability to affect the, the game on both sides of the ball is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, no no question. We always talk about it. I mean, it's one thing you can go out there and make some shots. It's another thing if you find shots, too. It's hard to find shots because it's a good defensive teams. But then it's all a, another thing, uh, like Farrell, we talk about Farrell, how to impact a game when you're not shooting the ball or not not uh, in a role shooting the ball. Take You take one, two. Is there, is there ways that you can impact winning besides making a shot? And we talk about that all the time, too. And now looking forward, we're starting Big East play. You guys at Villanova coming out to Omaha to start, and then you actually have about 10 days off. Yeah. Um, how different is Big East play versus non-conference? I mean, obviously the Big East, the Big East has been traditionally one of the best conferences in the country. Um, it's going to be a slugfest like every year that I've coached in it. Um, the top of the league is as good as anybody. You probably have two or three teams that could have a chance to win a national championship at the top of the league. Uh, last year's national champions obviously came out of the league, so – it's going to be a hard fought league. I mean, every night you better, you know, be ready to uh, get after it. Else, you're going to go home with L. 
And uh, so that we have to have consistent effort every night, starting Wednesday night with our uh, how we approach the game, how we approach practices going into Villanova, and then be ready to perform on Wednesday night. And then after that game, we do have a little break off, but you know the next game up is Marquette, and then we'll have to be ready for that one too. Else you get run out of the gym. Um, it's a league that uh, you know you better have your hard hat on, and you better be prepared every single night. All your all you'll be exposed. That is perfectly said, Coach. You better have your hard hat on. We are so excited to start Big East play. Thank you, Coach Miller, so much for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate it. And uh, roll Jays. Yeah, roll Jays. Here we go. Big East plays. Uh, uh, here it comes. So we, be we better be ready. <laughs> that was week six of the Big East. Um, we get into conference play, which is great for us because that means every time one Big East team plays, two Big East teams play. Um, but it's also a weird time of the year because that means that um, <laughs> every time one Big East team wins, one Big East team loses. So if you had any camaraderie towards a Big East school, say thank you. I will see you in March, and I will root for you in the tournament. But for right now, I'll spit in your eye. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to put it. Not much to add there. Big East plays the best time of the season, and this is when you get the really freaking fun stuff. And uh, really looking forward to going through it all with you guys. Let's do a mailbag next week. We can talk about some Big East play questions. So if you have anything you want to ask us, and uh, appreciate you for listening as always. Thanks for pulling up a stool.